to, uh, we've been doing an Acts series that we started last week. Uh, Denise, for those of you who are here, took us through uh, the first few verses of uh, chapter one of the book of Acts. And that's going to be really important today that we talk about this idea of Acts of the Apostles. Um, that's going to be an underlying theme here, especially in this uh, ser- sermon today. Uh, what's really cool about this book, what I've loved, I've always loved about it, is it's a very visual story. It is a story. Oftentimes we can get into parts of the Bible, especially things like, uh, I don't know, the letters of Paul or like Leviticus, and there's like a lot of ideas and not so much picture and visual. And for those of you who know me, you know my background's in film. I'm very much about visual storytelling. I like that. And the acts themselves were actually pretty, uh, pretty uh, cool on another level too. The way that they were written, they were actually modeled on like old Greek and Roman adventure stories um, from the period, right? And so it was very intentional that they had that kind of like exciting visual component to it that you could picture and that you could be there in the story, right? Now, there is a little bit of an irony in the Acts of the Apostles because Greek and Roman adventure stories often involved um, heroes, People with like swords going around and conquering large numbers of people, destroying armies, uh, going on wild voyages where they were victorious and awesome. And Acts of the Apostles is like the inverse of that. It's like people going around and getting beat up all the time and getting thrown into prison, their boats crashing, getting bit by snakes. So it was kind of also like, yeah, it was this beautiful kind of like also inversion of the Roman myth of like conquering people, right? In a sense, the, uh, the apostles were conquering, but it was a different kind of conquering. It was the work of the Holy Spirit transforming people's lives rather than um, bloody battles and wars. And so uh, the, a- the acts themselves stand out to me in the Bible for that reason. I mean, you get visual components in the, in the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, but in this you're following various different folks as they go on their adventure with the Holy Spirit, right? And they go out into the world. The Holy Spirit, we're going to see, descends on the community of faith, and that propels people off into the adventure, all right? The other thing that we kind of dove into as we started our Acts series is this kind of uh, maybe startling or uncomfortable reality that we're not going to have the Scripture up on screen during out this, throughout this whole series. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, amen. Okay, so maybe some of you are thrilled about that. I know for me, this is pastor confession, I was like every time the screen would come up in the text, I just, I just look right at it. Even if I'm not even reading it, I'm just staring at it. I don't know what it is. Um, but we will be using our Bibles here in church today. Uh, so I hope you have your Bible or there are some laying around the room. Since we have been pressing into this spirit, though, I decided to bring uh, a Bible that has a lot of um, personal resonance for me, right? Because it is the case with our Bibles, oftentimes um, we mark them up. I was sitting next to somebody on the plane this last, this last week. They had different colored post-it notes for different years and times in their life when they were going through the text. And they liked, they told me they liked being able to look back and see what things had impacted them in those different years and different seasons. Because in as much as um, the Bible, it does shape us, but it's true also that the text itself, it does something to the way that we receive the good news a little bit, right? We retain those words. I know for myself, um, when, you, when I read new translations that translate passages, classic passages, in ways that are different than what I am used to, I kind of get, oh, 
why are you doing that, right? It affects the way that we, we see the story. I, as I've said, I'm very much all about the visuals. I like visual storytelling. I like visual stories. When I was growing up, my first exposure to the Bible were things like, anybody, Superbook? Anybody remember that show in here? Got a few Superbook fans? The Hanna-Barbera Bible Adventures, yes? Any of those? Yes? Okay. These were the kinds of things that shaped these cartoons where characters would go back in time and actually live in the text, as it were. That really shaped and impacted the way that I saw the Bible stories. Another thing that really affected the way that I still see Scripture today was my first Bible. Maybe some of you had this. It was the picture Bible. All right? Anybody have this? It was this, it's like this remarkable kind of like sweet text where they have these animations for all the Bible passages. Revelations gets a little, or Revelation, singular, uh, gets a little awkward as you can imagine for a child. I think that they avoided all the, all the four horsemen and just talked about uh, Jesus knocking on a door. Uh, <laughs> they're like, nothing else happened in that book. Jesus just knocked on a door. Just move along. <laughs> um, but for, <laughs> you have these beautiful pictures, though, of people living these stories. And what I think has always, the way that it's always affected me is I've always seen stuff in the Bible as having happened. I've never struggled with that, and I think a lot of it has to do with this picture Bible. I see the stories as I'm in them. I'm calling the images back to my mind. The reason why I knew Paul was bald is because it said so, it showed me in here. He's bald in here. <laughs> he doesn't have any hair. <laughs> and that's how I knew. So uh, we're gonna be, I'm going to be referencing the picture Bible a little bit as I dive into Acts. But, of course, you have, don't have picture Bibles because you're not as awesome as me. And so I would ask you to just uh, engage your, uh, your Bible that you have right there as I dive in, all right? So we're in chapter 1 of Acts. We're going to begin in verse 9. And the section that we're in is something that, that people describe as the ascension because it is the moment that Jesus ascends into heaven, right? Jesus, Jesus has come back from the dead. He's hanging out with all of his disciples, right? He's doing signs, wonders, and like, you know, cooking fish for people and stuff like that, walking through walls, those kinds of things. And then there comes this moment where Jesus departs, and that's where we're picking this up. Jesus has just said some stuff to his disciples. We talked about that last week with Denise, but now we're going to see the ascension. So verse 9, after he said this, that's Jesus, he was taken up before their very eyes in a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly, suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer. 
along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Wow. This passage, the immediate thing that is so striking to me about this passage is how, like Luke, what he did so well, they describe Luke the writer as a historian. He wanted to, he was creating the visuals for you, right? But not just like, oh, this is a story that happened somewhere, but like he was creating real reference points for you to attach to. We're getting descriptions of how long it takes to get from this particular mountain to the city, right? We're given descriptions there. We're told exactly who was present. All these people were up there hanging out. And then in verse 9, we have this <laughs> kind of actually a weird passage given that. Luke is very interested in us seeing this thing, knowing that it happened. So what happens here? We see that Jesus was taken up before their very eyes. This is not a metaphor, right? It wasn't as though he got taken up before their very eyes. He was taken up before their very eyes, and, this is my favorite part, a cloud hid him from their sights. You can see this guy, he's just rising up into the sky, and then this cloud is just kind of drifting, and then it just floats by and covers him. If that just happened to your friend, you might be forgiven for just, What? Is he going to come out? I don't know. Well, I mean, he's back there. He's probably going to come out. So you're there. You're staring, waiting for maybe the cloud to move. They were looking intently, intently up into the sky. Now, intently is an interesting word. Roughly translates into, or it roughly means earnest with eager attention. They were looking earnestly up there with eager attention, which you might expect if you had just watched your friend get absorbed into a cloud. But that's not even the weirdest part. Because suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them, as you do. Just suddenly, there's just these two guys standing there. And what I love, I'm going to bring this up in my book. You probably won't be able to see it. My picture Bible, they are very white. So they have white robes, they are very pasty, and they have blonde hair too. And they're just suddenly, they're just standing there. And what do they say, these two men dressed in white? Which, by the way, white, interesting color. Purity, clarity, not diluted by, you know, other stuff, right? Very clear. And then there's two. Why two? Well, I could speculate. You have two eyes, two ears, and these two figures were about to bring clarity to those present, right? So a little bit of symbolic power there. But these two men who stood there beside them suddenly in white, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Well, he just got, Jesus got taken up into the sky. He just floated away like a balloon. 
Why are you looking up into the sky? Okay, the same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. So, why are you looking into the sky? Well, self-evident statement. We're looking to the sky because Jesus just got taken up into a cloud. What follows, and this is interesting, is something of a reminder and assurance. The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. There's a promise of return, an assurance they have. So they receive a disruption to their cloud gazing and are assured that the same Jesus will return. But what happens then? Apparently, that was all the explanation they needed. Because then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. Oh, okay. Perfect. Now, that might seem confusing or baffling. And some, I mean, it would be to me. It's like, oh, these two guys show up and they say, oh, he'll come back someday. But this has followed Jesus offering, giving a commission to the disciples to go out into the world. It follows a promise given by Jesus, that he will send a comforter. He'll send the Holy Spirit to them. And so these two suddenly appearing men in white offer a reminder. And it's interesting, I think, that this invitation is not, oh, why are you looking up in the sky? You know, you should keep on doing that. Because he'll come back someday, so you better just keep watching for it to happen. But rather, there is an invitation to something else. The apostles return to the city, and they arrive at a room where they were staying. And then they enter into prayer. They pray together in preparation for the Holy Spirit's return. Now, while the disciples may have been tempted here to stand around looking at the clouds or the sky, living in the apparent absence of Jesus in post-ascension reality, we see here the disciples being instead reminded to live and the assurance of Jesus' return. And that has the attended effect. The disciples return to the city and place where they are staying and devote themselves not just to prayer, but to constantly praying together. Now, You might have guessed, but I don't think this story is just about the disciples and what they did. We today stand here living in post-ascension reality ourselves. Last I checked, I didn't see that cloud move aside and Jesus come on down and say, hi, I'm back. 
could it be that there is an invitation for us here? Now, you'll remember that I emphasized the fact that this is called the Acts of the Apostles. It's not called the standing around looking in the sky of the Apostles. It wasn't, it's not called the cloud. They, the Apostles stood around for 150 pages. Because what we will see in the weeks to come is the entering in of the Holy Spirit and the activity of the disciples in partnership with the Holy Spirit as they proclaim the gospel to the world. Now, I get it. There is something very appealing about waiting for the end to come, waiting for that cloud to move aside and for Jesus to come floating in. Maybe some of us standing here today are familiar with or have even engaged in the wild speculation that we all are familiar with in our evangelical pond. As things start happening, we're like, oh, he's going to come back. Yeah, the world, the world can go to H-E double hockey sticks, but look it, he's going to come back. I don't have to worry about it because the cloud is going to move. So tempting to stand around predicting and trying to catch a glimpse of Jesus floating back in. But we're invited, we've been invited into a different kind of reality. If we were to take the disciples as a model, what would we do? Well, I'm guessing we wouldn't look around at the sky all day. But if we watch and read, they return to their city, to the place where they were staying, and they entered into prayer. What would happen if we left this place today, not seeking to hide with our heads in the clouds until Jesus gets back, but instead entered into life? in an active, participatory way that we participated in the acts of Jesus' disciples in our cities and places that we're staying. That in the ascension, Jesus reveals the radical fact that he has entered into history, that God was with us on earth, and that's true. But post-ascension, we discover something equally remarkable, that Jesus will return. In the light, though, of this absence, we will discover that we are not alone. We see our God is not bound by time in the way that you and I are bound by time. We will see that the Holy Spirit is an assurance that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is here. It is breaking in. In future weeks, we will see what happens when the disciples themselves live in an active now with God's Holy Spirit. But as we prepare for that, 
I'd like to invite us to prepare our own hearts to live in that active now. Because it is the case, while it is the case that God has been and will be, He is right now. So, I want to get a little weird for a minute. If we looked to the disciples in this passage for direction, if we were to pull our eyes away from the clouds for just a moment, what would we do? What comes next? They go out, they go to a room together, and they pray. So what I want to do right now is we prepare our hearts for walking alongside the disciples and their acts. I would like us to get together in prayer and just take some time with the people around you and prayer. Pray for that preparation. Invite the Holy Spirit to come because that's the journey that we are entering into here. We have this book before us, but we also have Holy Spirit to guide us through it. So won't you join me right now? Just get together with some folks around you and just enter into some prayer. All right? Can we do that? Come on, let's do it.
Now, if you're still praying, please continue to do so. Um, during this time, we're also going to press into our rhythm of offering. And during this time, even as we offer our prayers, um, we offer sometimes financial resources, but also we just serve the community that we love here. So I'd just like to invite you, if you're feeling inclined to give financially, godly, it helps keep the lights on, so please. But uh, also, if you're interested in just giving of your time um, or engaging in prayer, giving prayer, additional prayer, uh, we'll have people back in the corner to do that as well. Um, but please, uh, yeah, just enter into this time. It's not because you have to, but it's because we believe that there's something good about surrendering, surrendering what we have and who we are to God and trusting Him with it. So take this time to, to worship and to participate in all these forms of giving.